Another edition of Outside Shots presented by TheLines.com. It is the NBA Draft Edition Part 2 of Outside Shots here on The Lines YouTube channel. My name is Eli Herskovich. You can follow The Lines on Twitter at The Lines US. And before we get started, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever The Lines releases a new sports betting video on any market, including the NBA Draft. And our guest today for one of two draft videos, is Jonathan Von Tobel, who is the senior NBA betting analyst over at VEASAN in Las Vegas. That's where he's currently at, and he's also a host at ESPN Las Vegas and the Westgate Superbook Podcast with Jay Cornegay and John Murray. You can follow him on Twitter at MeJVT. What's going on, John? It's a busy time, man. This is a it's a cool time. You know, I've I've talked a lot about how you know the NFL has it right because like their NFL draft, it's like a three month build up to that thing, and it's a, it's a lot of excitement. <laughs> the NBA has got to do themselves some favors because uh, this thing, man. I mean, if we had a game seven, it was going to be on Sunday, and then you're just four days later, you're already into your NBA draft. But this is exciting. You know, a lot of misinformation out there, a lot of real information. So I love doing this stuff, watching the market move, and betting on some of it. So it's been an exciting time. And let's get to some of your bets for the draft. Remember to head over to play.thelines.com if you want to join in on any of our draft contests. And Victor Wembanyama, we don't need to discuss who's going to go number one overall. Some books even have that pick off the board, and understandably so. Odds on favorite, and then some for a long time to go to the San Antonio Spurs. And he's actually minus 225 to win NBA Rookie of the Year for the upcoming season. And we'll get to that market in the latter portion of this podcast. But you have a rare scenario for the second overall pick as well, along with that number one spot with Wembenyama, where you can't really blame sports books for having an extremely high hold on some of these markets. Like with Brandon Miller, the pick was flexing back and forth over the last week, who was going to go and really over the last month who was going to go second overall, because I want to say Scoot Henderson opened as around a minus 130 favorite in that market. Then Miller became the minus 130 favorite in the early portion of June. Henderson flipped back to that spot early in the week. And even as high as minus 225 on Tuesday, as we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. And now as we're recording this again on Wednesday, Miller out to minus 550. Talk about a high hold. And Scoot Henderson and low limits for that matter. Scoot Henderson up to plus 225 now to go second overall. So you have, though, a great position on Brandon Miller. Speaking of closing line value and beat the closing number, our other podcast that we do on the Lines Podcast Network. Why don't you share with our audience here why you took Brandon Miller at such a big price in late May to go second? Yeah, so he, I got him at plus 450 to go second overall. My co-host, actually, on my podcast, I do Harvard Handicappers. Kelly Bilden's got him at just over 8-1 to one to go second. You know, at the end of May, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski had a podcast with Jonathan Gavoni, and that's his, their NBA draft analyst over there at ESPN. And Gavoni had a report that Woj corroborated on the podcast in that Brandon Miller, for those who don't remember, had the legal issues that were stemming around um, the unfortunate incident that cost uh, somebody their life. And there was a thought that Brandon Miller had a larger hand in in, uh, in the weapon transportation uh, for that event. Well, legal issues started to clear up and uh, NBA teams were starting to come around a little bit more on Brandon Miller. And in today's NBA, positional value is everything, especially with these 3 and D guys. Like they are a very, very valuable piece in the way that teams are getting constructed. And so the thought was that Brandon Miller, 
combined with the fact that Scoot Henderson, for those who didn't watch him in the G League, had a kind of a down year, uh, wasn't really great in terms of his three-point shooting, eventually shut his season down so he could get ready for the NBA draft, that Miller had surpassed Scoot Henderson as the second-best prospect in this upcoming draft. And again, this is at the end of May, where you know we're just barely into the playoffs. We're not really talking a whole bunch about the NBA draft that's at the end of June. And all these markets had Brandon Miller up in that range of 8-1. to one. I dragged my feet a little bit, got in at 450, but that was the reason why I made the bet, because... At the very least, I thought that if we're if this is true and NBA teams think this, I thought at the most we'd get to like a range where it's going to be floating around pick for both of these guys minus one fifteen, whatever it's going to be, and that you'll just get some good closing line value. And pretty much where we're sitting right now, and now he's a massive favorite to go number two. So that was the impetus behind it. There was information out there at the end of May that this was actually going to happen. That Brandon Miller had surpassed Scoot Henderson to be the second best prospect, and it sounds like that's actually going to be the case by the time we get to Thursday. And just comparing and a couple different situations to compare here, but first and foremost, Jabari Smith, who yep. a lot of the consensus thought going into the draft, maybe a couple days before the draft and then some leading up to it, that he was the most ready NBA prospect of the bunch last season. And now the consensus thought is that Brandon Miller is of that regard. And then some maybe even, higher up than Jabari Smith when it comes to being pro-ready. And as someone who watches college basketball a ton and bets on it a ton, I could definitely attest to that, especially with the way he played after all the allegations in what, Mm -hmm. late February and then some. And he did struggle in the NCAA tournament against San Diego State. But again, as someone who watches college hoops a bunch, that is a very physical and a grown man, truly grown man defense that he was up against in the Aztecs in the Sweet 16, along with the injury he was dealing with. But the other situation that's comparable, John, that I'm curious to get your perspective on is the market positioning as well. Because I mentioned with Jabari Smith, he was the odds-on favorite. And I think he either, you could frame it a couple different ways. He either got that up or the books shifted his price tag to around minus 1300 I think yep. minus 2000 the early morning of the draft, uh, the Thursday of last year, because Woj had the report, I want to say late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning leading up to the draft, that Jabari Smith was going to be the number one overall pick. And you mentioned the report that came out a couple days ago, maybe as late as Tuesday night that Woj said that Brandon Miller was going to be the number two overall pick. And I think you tweeted this out as well. Remember to follow John on Twitter at me, JVT, that the books kind of took a little bit of time. Maybe that report came out from Woj on Tuesday morning. I want to say you said, and then Tuesday night was when the adjustment really came into play. Maybe the book saw some action as well on Miller, heavy action to go number two overall. So, how do you see the situation playing out if you expect it? Obviously, you're not hoping for it to go similarly right. to last year because everybody knows Paolo Bancaro went first overall, and some people got as high as 20 to 1 on Bancaro to go first before he became a heavy, heavy favorite minutes before the draft to go first overall. So, just kind of comparing the two situations. Do you see any similarities in regards to the way the market has shifted? 
I, I think there are, but I also think you're seeing the market show some trepidation, right? I mean, you mentioned the difference in prices. We were only looking at like minus 500, minus 400 for Miller to go here with the second overall pick. And as you mentioned, Jabari Smith Jr. was minus 1,300 last year. So you're seeing at the very least some of the market hesitancy to really fully back what this, uh, what this report has said. I, I would say that I think a key difference is it's not just Wojnarowski reporting it. Jonathan Gavoni has also reported that this is the fact. There's multiple reports out there, too. A couple of Yahoo sports writers also reported the fact that they have heard that they think it's going to be Brandon Miller at number two. So you're at least starting to get the noise from other sources. So you would think that, and again, you would think, you would think that multiple people <laughs> are not going to be wrong with the intel that they're getting here. And I do wonder if, because there's not kind of three guys at play, right? Last year, there was kind of three guys. You mentioned Paolo Bencaro fell back, but it was Jabari Smith Jr., Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bencaro. This is just two guys because we know where Victor Wembanyama is going to go. And I think that kind of helps it out. And another difference too, I, I think that is going to change things here is just the positional fit. You know, Scoot Henderson, I think, does fit better with LaMelo Ball than most would think. But if you're a team that already has a lead guard that's very young, why would you grab another one when you can grab a wing prospect that you think could be a very good player to fit next to your young guard in LaMelo Ball? And I think all of those things together add up to this being legitimate in terms of all the information you're seeing. But there is one fly in the ointment that we should keep an ear out for, and I think that's also why this price is as low as it is. There is still a chance that a team comes in and trades for the second overall pick. You know, the New Orleans Pelicans were that team that were thrown out there that Zion Williamson was potentially on the block, that they wanted to come in, and if they were going to get there, the pick was going to be Scoot Henderson. And I think that's one of the issues is you could see, we get all this information right at this time, right? Which is, hey, I think there's a world when everything is kind of true when you get conflicting reports. And maybe this is one of those where, yeah, Brandon Miller is going to be the selection of the Charlotte Hornets if they make the pick. But if they don't make the pick, then all of a sudden you're in a universe in which Scoot Henderson goes number two because the Pelicans come up and grab him because they flip Zion Williamson. So I think that's probably like all of those things together. I think that's why you get this market hesitancy to not increase this this much. They got burned last year. They don't want it to happen again. And there's the possibility that a team comes in and ruins it and offers a sweetheart deal to grab that second overall pick from Charlotte. And I think that's kind of why we see these differences in this price for Miller to go number two right now. Great handicap there. And we see variants all the time, and you bet on the NBA, I bet on college basketball, late game variance. This is truly draft variance and yep. news variance and all of the situations that could come into play, trade variance that could happen with these markets. So love the analysis with that pick in particular. And we could also see some of the other picks be dealt when it comes to the Portland Trailblazers and the third overall pick and maybe even the Houston Rockets who are the four, fourth overall pick and as of now JVT looking at that market Amin Thompson one of the Thompson twins is minus 335 to be the pick for Houston they need a ball handler they have the shooting down in Houston you know that better than I do as a big time NBA viewer and fan but you have a long shot in mind I know you bet this a little bit back in time when it comes to who will go fourth overall specifically the individual prop itself so I'm curious if your perspective on this pick has changed at all uh, so it has a little bit my long shot was I bet Scoot Henderson to be the fourth overall pick at 36 to 1 and so the thinking was I actually thought it, it still makes some sense look if you're looking at Portland let's say Portland makes that selection Portland has Damian Lillard they have Anthony Simons they have Shaden Sharp it, it wouldn't really make a ton of sense 
to acquire Scoot Henderson, to draft him because you've got a glut of guards and you've got a guy who in any other class would be a top overall pick that's going to have trouble seeing the floor because he's a ball-dominant guy that can't shoot. He's north-south. He gets to the free-throw line. Doesn't really work with the pieces that are in play already on the roster of the Portland Trailblazers. It's also a team that, by all accounts, wants to win now, potentially, with Damian Lillard still there. So my thought was, look, it's not a slide on Scoot Henderson. It's just positional need. The, the Portland Trailblazers don't need a point guard. And if they're sitting at third and Scoot's sitting there, it, there is, I think, a universe in which it makes sense for them to go, well, you know what? Let's take the next best available wing prospect, which would be maybe Amon Thompson, could be Cam Whitmore potentially out of Villanova. But I, I, that was the thought process behind it. Not that Henderson would slip because of any negativity, but just that the Portland Trailblazers might not want him there. And I'll throw out, look, it, it, it's a dark time for me because I'm always just scrolling through Twitter, right? Trying to find different bits of information about this kind of stuff. And there's like really small rumblings that the Portland Trailblazers don't want Scoot Henderson. Now, again, kind of going back to what we're talking about, right? Where everything can be true. Maybe they don't want Scoot Henderson because they just don't want to make the pick because they want to trade it away because they want to add something to to their team overall. Or maybe they realize that it just doesn't make positional value. It doesn't make a lot of sense to grab a guy like a Scoot Henderson. So I just took it again. I think it was worth at the price of 36 to one. I think consensus now is about 25 to one or so for him to go fourth overall. I just thought that if that was going to happen, it made a little bit of sense given the way that the lottery fell and the fact that the Portland Trailblazers ended up with a third overall pick there. And if, by the way, if that happens, I mean, it's absolute madness if that's going to be the case. Right. And that's why it's worth sometimes yep. taking a long shot ticket because speaking of variance, it could happen with truly any of these picks with the potential trades that could go down. And one of the guys that you mentioned within that was Cam Whitmore, who has seen his name... He was, I want to say, minus 105, maybe even as low as minus 125 on Tuesday to go fifth overall to the Pistons. Then some mock drafts came out. And what do you know? It is now Jairus Walker, who I believe is the favorite to go fifth overall to Detroit. So what do you make of the Whitmore, not steam, but the backlash on Cam Whitmore that has come into play, whether it's because of the injury that caused him to... Uh, beyond the bench, the Villanova Wildcats bench up until the middle portion of the season. Now, I will say, unlike people who don't watch college basketball and then decide to comment on NBA draft uh, prospects, right. not that that's you, but you know who I'm I'm talking about. Cam Whitmore was very, very explosive when he came back and looked like one of the more dominant players on the floor and arguably the most dominant player in individual games. And I thought it maybe had a little bit more to do with the lack of chemistry on that Villanova team in particular, as opposed to years past, because then you think about Justin Moore, one of their lead guards who didn't come back till I want to say the middle portion of Big East play. So just worth considering when you think about prospects. And that's also how teams have to look at it. But back to Whitmore individually, what do you expect to happen with his name in the draft? So I think Whitmore is kind of like, you know, I've referred to him as this linchpin, which is, you know, his fate kind of decides the fate of a lot of these other players around him. And for the longest time, Cam Whitmore has been a guy that has been, I mean, solidly, if you haven't been paying attention to this up until just this week, he has been solidly inside of the top five. I had not read a mock draft that didn't have him going any farther than five to the Detroit Pistons. We had guys on the podcast, Raphael Barlow works for the NFL Big Board, or excuse me, NBA Big Board, who said that he's not going to get past five. I mean, Barlow's most recent mock is one of the few that still has Whitmore as, as the fifth overall pick. So that's something worth looking at. And he was one of the early ones that when we talked to him, we said, no, you better watch out for Whitmore because he's rising. And I think a lot of teams really like him. And since we talked to him, Whitmore had solidified himself in the top five. 
But then all of a sudden on Tuesday, we get reports that like, ah, actually, you know, the workouts didn't really go that well. He didn't really enthuse a lot of teams. And it does tie in with one other report. James Edwards, who covers the Detroit Pistons, actually reported that, yeah, the Pistons aren't really looking at Whitmore at all. It's one of three names. It's the Thompson Twins, and it is Jairus Walker for the fifth overall pick that's in contention there. And in fact, according to Edwards, the Pistons have a SAR as their best-ranked player on their big board. So both of those reports, and this is the fun part about drafting because you have to take all these reports and kind of put them together. Well, that then kind of makes sense. If we're hearing over here that Whitmore is sliding and we're hearing over here that the fifth overall pick, which is the spot where he was supposed to go, actually doesn't really like him that much, then all of a sudden it makes sense and then it opens up a world of possibilities. And I think the way we're looking at it now, and you can find some top five exactas out there, that the way that this could play out is Wembanyama, Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, Amen Thompson, and then Asar Thompson as the fifth overall pick if the reports out of Detroit are true that this is going to be the case. So if Whitmore ends up falling out of the top five, that changes things for Jairus Walker. It changes things, obviously, for himself. Taylor Hendricks was a name that was thrown in there in the top five as well at a UCF. He doesn't potentially find a home there too. So Whitmore is a fascinating study because he, he, by all accounts, was in this top five. You mentioned his draft position prop. At one point, it was five and a half, shaded to the under at minus 350. And now all of a sudden, it's shaded to the over at nearly over $2 because of the recent intel. And that's been a massive swing here and a change of what we've seen in terms of some of the draft position props for him and for a bunch of other guys that are around him. Yeah, unlike other betting markets, when you think about handicapping an individual game, a lot of this steam, and I guess intel definitely matters like we saw with Bancaro last year and some sharp bettors out there that really took advantage of that 20 to one price tag on Van to go number one overall. But some, if not most of this team is truly based off of news and mock drafts, which is where variance really comes into play. And speaking of variance and maybe taking a big price, I want to go to the top 10 and looking at that particular market, because one of the bets I made, I'm curious about your perspective on this JVT looking at, Jalen Hudjafino to go inside of the top 10 when we think about all the different scenarios that could play out. Derek Lively has seen his name rise up, and I guess get that down if you're looking at this thing from a number standpoint. I'm pretty sure he's as low as plus 125 now to go inside of the top 10. But like you said, there are a lot of different ways that the NBA draft, even the top 10, not just the top five, could go. And Hudjafino... A lot of reports out there, whether you want to follow them or not, have stated that he's not going to slip past 13 and the Utah Jazz, even the Washington Wizards, I've seen some reports as well in consideration to go number eight, but also number nine to Utah in particular. And I would make the case as someone who watches college basketball, not that this analysis not necessarily correlates to an NBA draft bet or whether a guy should go in the top 10 or not. But I really do believe he is one of the more pro-ready guards in this draft, considering his mid-range game and how much that matters more when it comes to isolation scoring in the NBA than it does in college because of your ability to create off of the bounce. And I have an article up on thelines.com about this. And when I was looking at Synergy yesterday and his ability to score in isolation, He averaged 1.19 points per possession, which was good for the 94th percentile when it came to scoring in isolation. 
facing the press, he was excellent. Not that he is going to face that a ton in the NBA as much as he did in college. He is an excellent pick and roll guard when it comes to distribution and scoring, along with his ability to score against drop coverage, which he did against Purdue in a big-time way in late February. So whether you like the Huchifino bet or not, are you with me that variance could also occur in the back end of the top 10? Oh, I, I think so. Absolutely. And I, I think it starts with the team that you mentioned first, right? So at number eight is Washington. And and every every bet, or excuse me, every mock draft that I have seen has always had Anthony Black in that selection for the Washington Wizards. However, I think there's, there's a couple of things. First off, I've read all those mock drafts. It's never been tied to Intel. It's always just been tied to, hey, the Wizards don't have Bradley Beal anymore, so let's put a guard there. And, you know, a lot of people might have Anthony Black as the top uh, guard in their class. But that might not be the case. There's also a universe because of the two Thompson twins are going to be gone. Uh, let's if we continue down that path, Orlando, who desperately needs a point guard, is going to look around and go, "Okay, well, we need to grab a guard right now." That could be Hood Shavino. It also could be Anthony Black. Thus, you get to Washington and you look and you go, "All right, well, we really need a guard," and they're all starting to kind of fall off the board. So I would say I agree with you. I, I think that. If what we're starting to hear is true, and if the top five has started to take shape in the form of the two Thompson twins at the back end, then all of a sudden I think you start to see this run on guards because this is a pretty guard-heavy draft in this area. You know, There's going to be a lot of these guys are going to go, and a lot of these teams are going to covet them. And if they start to go, then teams like Washington, then teams like Utah, who just put Colin Sexton out of the block, uh, teams like Dallas, the Dallas Mavericks, who desperately need a secondary scorer, right? Uh, we saw that Jalen Brunson left, and that offense kind of went with him. These are all teams that are in play for guards. So I would agree with you. Like making that selection and looking around and seeing the way the information is coming out, I don't think there's anything wrong with making that selection at all, especially if the top five plays out with those two Thompson twins going. And you have a couple more bets that I want to get to before we talk rookie of the year odds, even though the draft hasn't happened yet. That market has started to take shape too. And one of those bets that you have is a draft position prop along with a specific individual pick so why don't you get into those as well yeah so I think and this ties a little bit into uh, what we were talking about with uh, Hutch Savino in the top 10 it's been reported that the Utah Jazz uh, really like Bilal Koulibaly and that they're targeting him for the ninth overall pick Rafael Barlow actually the guy I've referenced before uh, is the one who had this report they're, they're actually targeting two guys it would be Bilal Koulibaly uh, out of France you know played for the Metropolitan 92s and um, Keontae George out of Baylor. Now, George would be his player that they draft a little bit later. They want to move. They have the 16th pick, too, maybe move up to go and grab him. But nine has been specifically tied to Bilal Koulibaly and the Utah Jazz. So betting him at 10 to 1, it has been cut down to 5 to 1. But again, you know, for me in this area, we're talking about a specific report on this and no real pushback from anyone else. I at least would feel comfortable taking a plus price on a guy to go in that specific spot because there is a specific report that the Jazz want him there. So I think Bilal Koulibaly at that ten at uh, ninth overall pick is worth it still at five to one. And the other two is uh, again almost every single mock draft I've read, it's like Anthony Black. I have not seen Grady Dix one time inside of the top ten. And if you look at the way that this thing could shake out, where you're talking about okay, Thompson Twins go inside of the top five, you're still going to have the Indiana Pacers who do want a power forward type, whether that's Taylor Hendricks, whether that's Jar- uh, Jarris Walker, whether that's Cam Whitmore. Uh, you have the Wizards who are going to go after more of a lead guard than anything else. Same thing with the Utah Jazz. Same thing with the Dallas Mavericks. Like, it, it doesn't make a lot of space there for a guy like Grady Dick to land. 
And in some recent mock drafts, he's actually been going a little bit later, 14, 15, 16. So I laid 250. I thought it was a cheap price there for Dick to go over 10 and a half. I just haven't seen a reality in which he lands inside of the top 10 selections. And of course, uh, 11 is the Orlando Magic who desperately need a shooting guard and some sort of guy to knock down perimeter shots and it fits perfectly. So those are the two that I had left that I had bet. Grady Dick over 10 and a half minus 250. I do still think that minus three and a half is playable. I think that's the most you want to go to though for Dick to go over 10 and a half and then Bilal Koulibaly ninth overall selection. Yeah, and speaking of Grady Dick uh, in particular, good shooter, elite shooter yep. at times at Kansas. I'm pretty sure he shot over 40%. But his defensive grades, man, they were rough. Absolutely. So I totally get your analysis there. A top 10 pick per se, but then you look at teams that need shooting specifically, another guy, another elite shooter, and then some that is terrific off ball. Part of my conversation with Jay Billis, that was the other Outside Shots podcast I recorded today that you can find on the Lions YouTube page and Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast. Jordan Hawkins yep. is truly just phenomenal to watch when it comes to his footwork off the ball and creating space. I'm pretty sure he ranked in the 95th percentile in points per possession when it came to half court efficiency. And that is primarily, if not all based off of his footwork. But I want to ask you one more thing before we get to rookie of the year odds. I know I keep teasing that, but we keep throwing around prices. And I just want to say, you know, I'm sure you get crap on Twitter all the time, right? Up, this bet didn't hit. And up, why'd you make this bet? Variance happens on a game-by-game basis, as you and I both know. But like we keep touching on, and it can be a positive or a negative, a market like this, variance can truly swing one way or another. And while books may limit you to a certain degree, you also, this is maybe just my take. Again, I want to get your thoughts on it. You kind of want to limit yourself because... Bats can swing one way or the other now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, and all of the information just could be wrong. Like we were talking about last year with what happened uh, with Paolo <laughs> Bancaro. You know, there, there's a lot of noise around here. What we're betting in th- these markets is just based off information. What other people are telling us that we believe it to be true. Because why wouldn't we? These are established NBA reporters who have connections, who have been right on a lot of other things. You know, you would believe this, and especially when you're betting on information. So, you know, that's why you mentioned I sent you my bets. I've only got about five right now. And that's really about it because there's so much other noise around here that's going to change almost everything. You know, I could right now because James Edwards reported that Asar Thompson is going to be the guy. You can go bet three to one or 350 on the exact order of the top five, but you just don't know if that's entirely accurate because every time he reports that Asar Thompson's at the top of the board, he also does list that they like these two other guys. So you just don't know what's 100% true. So I would say, yeah, like you, you would want to limit yourself as well because all the information in the world, the NFL draft just this year was a very good example. We know a lot of people that kind of took baths on that thing because a lot of information pointed in one direction. And all of a sudden, hours before, an hour before the draft, what happens? Everything snaps back. CJ Stroud's the second overall pick. Uh, and then everything crumbles from there. It, it was it was a really fascinating exercise there. And I think that's why you do want to limit yourself because if you're caught up in the air, it could go really bad for you if you've tied a lot of the stuff to the information and it ends up being incorrect. I love how you said earlier on that it's a dark time for you. And I know yeah. you have a wife and kids. I'm sure your wife at the end, at the end of the NBA season, it is usually like, okay, I got some time to not have to deal with any sort of Twitter. Maybe he'll put down his phone at dinner or before dinner. Yep. I know I deal with the same kind of stuff. And then here we go. You're on your phone, maybe even more because you're following all these reports. We've got a, we got vacation actually starting tomorrow. I head out of town tomorrow to, for the, with the family. So, you know, I get all the work done. <laughs> 
Uh, and just like some, you know, I rest on the seventh day. There you go. You know, you just, now we're finally here. <laughs> Can't do anything else. So you get all the information out there and then you sit and you watch. Or what is it? I'll make a Marvel reference. What is it? Thanos, uh, sit and watch a Grateful Universe or whatever the hell he says. <laughs> well, I'm not a Marvel guy. So uh, I'll let you have it. So it'll, it'll hit with somebody. It'll hit with somebody. Exactly. But before we get you out of here and before you take your well-deserved vacation looking at the rookie of the year market again i know that the draft hasn't even happened yet but speaking of some markets that have really started to take shape when benyama is not only the odds on and then some favorites go number one overall and i would call him a lock at this point i know that that term is thrown around a lot on betting twitter but for this case it actually applies not with rookie of the year though because when benyama is minus 225 to win that award, and a lot of people think he is the most generational player since LeBron James. But when you look at the rest of the market, Scoot Henderson is plus 350. Chet Holmgren, who had to sit out this season because of his injury after being a one-and-done at Gonzaga the year before at the college level, plus 375. He was around that same price before the injury took him off the board, I want to say, last summer. Brandon Miller, a name we discussed earlier on as well, Plus 950. Jalen Huchifino, 100 to 1. Any names stand out to you among those crop of or that crop of players or anywhere else you want to go on the board? Yeah, I, I actually, I think I'm going to go with the guy who uh, we were talking about at number three and hopefully number four, um, Scoot Henderson. I think Scoot's going to be, wherever Scoot Henderson ends up, he's going to be in a position where he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. He's going to have a high usage rate. He's going to be the future of whatever team ends up with him by the time we get to the first day of the regular season. And I think that's one to really look at because any the angle I think overall here, as much as I like Steve Henderson, is we're looking ways to bet against Victor Wembanyama. Like if there was a yes-no on Wembanyama to win Rookie of the Year, the no would be there. Because here's the thing. There's already been reports, for those who haven't seen them, that the Spurs are going to take it slow with Wemanyama. Like, they're going to allow him to take rest days. They're not going to push him. I'd be surprised maybe if he even plays a vast majority of back-to-backs, if at all. Like, they're playing the long game with Wemanyama, and they've got a bunch of guys on that roster that are under 23. They can play the long game. You know, Greg Popovich is not going to try to push this thing. He's not going to be there at the end of the day when I think this team reaches its full potential to be another head coach. So they're going to be willing to take this thing slow. And so you're looking for any opportunity to play against a guy like Wembanyama. So if you can find a yes, no, it'd be awesome. That'd be the way to do it. But I think you're looking elsewhere. And I think Scoot Henderson is going to be at the top of that list because he is a ball dominant guard who's going to create a lot, who's going to have a high usage rate. And wherever he goes, he's going to be the guy. And I think that sets up for a really nice opportunity to win rookie of the year. It's funny because you brought up Wembenyama props already for next season or maybe just his playing time and trying to get him up to speed at the pro basketball level, at least here over in the States and against major, major athletes, big time athletes. Not that he isn't one himself, but you know what's going to happen, JVT, is when his props start to get listed on a game-by-game basis and the unders start to pile up because people are going to be betting his overs in a big-time way just based off of the of the notion that he is an odds-on favorite and then some to an NBA Rookie of the Year. We're going to see the hashtag refund Wembenyama props or maybe some variation yeah, right. of that, <laughs> just like everything else. Before, last time I'm going to say this, I promise, because I know you got other stuff to do today. Any other market that you might be eyeing when it comes to, because you're not just a draft guy. 
you're a big time MEA batter, whether it's a team future for next season or maybe a win total that you may be looking into when those markets come out. Not that your wife wants you to start thinking about that anytime soon, but any other markets that you may be having an eye on or an ear on over the coming weeks and leading up to the season that our listeners could try to tag along with you. So I bet I actually did bet one future to win the NBA finals. And this is just purely a number grab because this thing I think is going to get cut to whatever degree it is. It's going to get cut down. But I did bet the Portland Trailblazers at 125 to one to win the NBA finals. They, they seem very set on making this thing work in terms of Damian Lillard. Pascal Siakam has been the name that's been thrown out that they're going to acquire. And whether that gets them to like 70 to one, 60 to one, somewhere in that range, it's going to cut their odds from 125 to one to a little bit shorter. And I think that's a team that, well, I don't think they're capable of winning the NBA Finals. Damian Lillard and a guy like Pascal Siakam, or maybe even Paul George, who's been thrown out there as a potential uh, ad for them as well, that is a team that is at least capable of winning a playoff series if the bracket breaks right for them. And then you can see where you're at from there on a ticket at about 125 to 1 or so. But because I know, I think, that Portland is going to try to add a big name and you know the market is going to react because of that addition, I thought it was worth it just to take 125 to 1 at a number grab because that team's going to be in the range of about 75 to 1 or so. I think by the time we get out of here and maybe even less considering, you know, it doesn't, we don't know what the name is going to be yet. But if it is a Paul George, it could cut even a little bit lower because the market's going to really overreact from it. So that's the only futures bet I made so far. Portland 125 to 1 to win the finals. And I love the point that you brought up within your analysis there because a lot of viewers and listeners are casual bettors, right? So they may hear that and say, oh, Portland's not winning the title, but that's not necessarily, not that you're making the bet to hedge, but you're taking a long shot and that notion is based into, or is baked into the number that the Trailblazers are not likely to win the NBA championship, hence the implied probability within those odds. It's kind of similar, not that for me at this point with my national championship or college basketball, but not that any big-time additions are going to happen at this point of the offseason, but when I thought about a team that I thought could over-exceed expectations for next season, the bet I have down is Maryland, and a player on that team or for is going to be on that team for next season is Deshaun Harris-Smith, who may very well win Big Ten Player of the Year, and that could heighten their level of play if they get that kind of play from a star like that, along with who they already have coming back. And yes, you might say at the forefront, Maryland's, it, Maryland isn't going to win the championship because you have the likes of Duke and Kansas and whatnot, and that gets into the conversation of one-game variance versus a playoff mm-hmm. series in the NBA. I know it's kind of apples and oranges, but I think it kind of gets lost in conversation sometimes when the casual better hears a long shot like that being thrown out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you're just, you're grabbing a number, you're positioning yourself. And at the very least we're in a position where I think the probability is going to rise of this team winning the championship before we actually get to the season starting. And you'll be in a good position to do something with it. If it plays out that they're at the very least, I think Portland's going to shape a team that's going to be a top five seed in the Western conference and in position to win a playoff series. And Hey, look, I'll take 125 to one ticket on a team to win the NBA finals in their conference semifinals. If I can get it, you know, of course. And he is Jonathan Von Tobel. You can follow him on Twitter at me, JVT. Senior MBA batting analyst, host for VSIN, along with doing some work at ESPN Las Vegas and the Westgate Superbook out in Vegas as well. 
Have a fun draft night, man, or I guess you'll be on vacation, so enjoy the phone being off the grid, yep. and maybe your wife will let you check what's going on in the draft at some point during the night, right? Yeah, she will. We're going to a Giants game, so uh, she'll she'll have to oh. deal with the sports a little bit. <laughs> All right, fair enough. We'll have yep. fun at the Giants game. That team is, speaking of baseball, maybe you'll be uh, having a bet on the Giants because that team is Red hot. I know some yep. people that have some pretty large futures tickets on San Francisco, considering where they were at in the market going back to a few weeks ago before they got hot. But like I mentioned, he is Jonathan Montobel. Follow him on Twitter at MeJVT. You can follow the lines on Twitter at the lines US. Remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever we have more market betting analysis for any sport. Follow me on Twitter at Eli Erskovich. That's going to do it for this edition of Outside Shots presented by thelines.com. Thanks for watching and listening. So long, everybody. 